Oh, good afternoon. Uh, yes. Uh, we had church already this morning, and we get to do what we like to call our church the double dip, uh, which is get to come back for more. But a joy is to be with you all. Uh, basically, a member. Uh, let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the word made flesh. Thank you that we have been created by this word and we come now to be sanctified. And would you sanctify us in the truth for the truth? We ask you to help you need your help. Would you be pleased to help us? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 The later it gets, I gotta get louder. Um, Alright. If you have a Bible, please join me in the Gospel of Luke. will be in chapter 10. We'll be sticking to verses 38 to 42. Maybe some diagnostic questions for you this evening. Um, friend, saved friend, uh, are you too busy for Jesus? Are you too busy for Jesus? Um, is there enough room in your life for him? Uh, all of us, all of us know the unfortunate gut-sinking feeling and the emptiness of coming to the conclusion that you spent your time the wrong way. It cannot be retrieved, it cannot be reversed, it cannot be reacquired somehow, it's lost. If you think through your day-to-day -day activities, as you think about your daily tasks, if you think about the endless demands on your schedule, or the dreams you want to pursue, uh, let me just ask you, when's the last time you've taken a step back and examined what things you devote your time and your attention to, and have you went through the discovery process on determining whether they are, in fact, Necessary? Are you giving your time to what is necessary? Uh, most saints know the feeling of wasting time. People know the feeling of wasting time. Uh, but even the sanctified ones, yes, uh, know the feeling and experience of wasting time. Uh, especially since we're commanded to use our time well. Uh, so Ephesians 5, 15 says, Look carefully then how you walk, that is unwise but wise, making the best use of the time. Uh, the saints know the sad reality of time used poorly, uh, particularly as it relates to drawing close to the Lord. The feeling of a day coming to its close. Perhaps you go to lay on your bed, your blankets, your right side or your left side, on your back, looking up at the ceiling. By God's grace, He brings to your attention, saying, You have not been. And it hits you. I've wasted the day. I've wasted my time. I was too busy for Jesus. Nobody is ever too busy for Jesus. Spoiler alert, right? Nobody's ever too busy for Jesus. We're too sinful, oftentimes, 
to make time for Jesus, but we're never too busy. Uh, the Lord who has created the day has made the day with enough time for him in it. Uh, unfortunately, though, we are easily distracted. We are easily pulled away from where, or rather who, should have the whole of our devotion. It's easy for us to not labor to be close to Jesus, and it's a shame for any believer. It's a double shame for a pastor to not labor to be close to Jesus. And none of us should confuse doing things about Jesus with spending time with Jesus. And the Lord is, is, is kind to regularly, in his word, call us back to the right direction, the right place, the right devotion, help us gain a right perspective. And we're going to be looking at such a passage that functions as something that helps align us uh, to the appropriate priorities. I know it's a familiar passage of scripture for most people, but I am hoping that it lands on us all with fresh grace this evening and helps us to at least evaluate if we are in fact choosing the good thing and that we will feel wooed to make some adjustments and corrections so that we would. Please read with me Luke 10, 38-42. This is God's word. It's the best part of the sermon. Amen. Amen. This next part of the sermon is perfect. <laughs> now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then that help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken. Amen? Amen. Uh, uh, two points. Point number one is needing Jesus. Needing Jesus. I, I stole that from one thing is necessary. Needing Jesus. Verse 38 begins here that as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. So our text begins. Um, this is following Jesus. Schooling a lawyer who's trying to test him, right? Trying to get Jesus to slip up. Jesus lays, as is his custom, the theological smackdown, answering the lawyer's question with an illustration about the Good Samaritan. And as the lawyer and all the whole gathered group is sounding silence, we're simply told they kept it moving. And as they do, Jesus and his entourage enter a village and are welcomed by our sister Martha. Now, we read in verse 39 through 40, we're introduced to two different kinds of responses and devotions to Jesus, Martha's and Mary's. Martha welcomed him, we're told, Jesus, I mean, uh, Mary sat at his feet, right? She had a sister called Mary, she sat at the Lord's feet and listened to him, but we're told Martha was distracted with much serving. So we see two different kinds of responses, two different devotions to Jesus. It's important for us to understand, though, that it is the contrast of two sisters who both love the Lord. So this isn't one sister who loves Jesus and another one who's kind of tripping. No, this is two sisters who genuinely, authentically love the Lord, but one who is confused. 
truth about her devotion. Uh, it seems clear that Martha and Mary both loved them some Jesus. Uh, we're told in verse 38 that Martha welcomed him into her house, which may not sound like a big deal to us, but it's a big deal in the text. That doesn't simply include caring for his needs, but Jesus rolled with a group of dudes. So she didn't just care for his needs, but for the needs of those who were with him. There was a whole squad of men. He would have disciples with him, which is why we can appreciate verse 40, how it says she was distracted with much serving. Right? There was much serving that welcoming Jesus included. But it's not just that. That welcome thing. As Jesus had said in Luke 9, 48, whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. So not only is Martha welcoming him in as in, you know, it's nice, we'll take care of you. We're supposed to see in this, though, a theological reception of who Jesus is as well. She's welcoming him based on who he says he is, based on who he said he was sent by. She's receiving him and who he comes in the name of, namely God the Father. Uh, not only did she welcome him here, but we're told she did it at a time when many people didn't welcome him. So we're told in the chapter previous, in 9, 53, Jesus went into the village of the Samaritans, and he found nowhere to welcome him. A couple chapters later, we find not only were people not welcome him, but now we got people trying to kill him. But here you got Sister Martha, she's not afraid of the threats, she's not fearing anything that's frightening, she's happy to welcome her Lord, to host him, and to feed him. She gets who he is. We get a clear statement of faith from Martha, too. She was sound in the faith. So in John chapter 11, 27, we got a clear statement of faith from Martha, right? I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Martha loved the Lord. And we know that Mary loved the Lord, too. Indeed, Mary is known for her love for the Lord in John 12, 1 through 8, which I think is the passage I preached on last time. You talk about the preciousness of Christ. This is part two. Uh, you, you might remember that vivid scene of devotion that Mary is known for, where Mary pours her expensive ointment on the feet of Jesus and wipes his feet with her hair, the very feet that we're told in this passage she is quite happy to sit at. As we know from the Word, the only reason that any of his people love him is because he has, in fact, loved them first. And so we shouldn't be surprised when considering these two sisters who love the Lord to find clear evidence in Scripture of his love for them. So we're told in John 11, 5, that Jesus loved Martha and her sister. So this is not the story of one woman who loved Jesus and one woman who didn't. This is the story of two women who love Jesus, but one woman who in this season of her life, her example is clearly confused, and one woman who in this season of her life, her example is clearly commended. One sister who is wrongly distracted, one sister who is rightly devoted, and the question for us is, which one are you? Though Martha welcomed him, we find it was Mary who rightly worshipped him. We all got a lot of Martha in us. And here, in our text today, the Lord holds up his holy mirror so that we might examine ourselves 
and adjust our devotion where it's going. I mean, make no mistake, being wrongly distracted is displeasing to the Lord. It's wrong. It betrays our love towards him. It undermines his worthiness. It questions his value. It refuses to count everything as a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, quickly, some shameful things about me. Um, about two years ago, now I guess it was, um, in the providence of God, this got brought to my soul in a rather heavy way where the Lord really exposed to me that there had been a deformity in my own discipleship. By God's grace, I had always prayed. I enjoyed praying. Uh, by God's grace, I was found praying with different degrees of regularity, but it was consistent in my Christian life. But there was definitely a deficiency in my private devotion. I had not enjoyed what R.C. J.C. Ryle calls the habit of hardy private prayer. Do you know the habit of hardy private prayer? I didn't. Or what I would understand Jesus to be referring to in Matthew 6 when he says practicing our righteousness. In my pride and in my own ignorance, I have become accustomed to neglecting something that's very necessary. Something that's very essential. It had become regular for me to choose wrong. The Lord was kind to bring this to my attention and I had to repent. I still have to repent. I have to repent and seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's what invite us all to examine ourselves this evening uh, as we consider God's word, as we sit under God's word, as Jesus talks to her and therefore talks to us through her. And let us hear what the Lord has to say to us. I hope that everyone in here, in truth, is walking in passionate pursuit of Christ. I hope y'all all know with like vibrancy, what the hearty private prayer life is. I hope, I hope you know it. I hope you love it. I am usually the least holy person in the room. I would love for that to be true yet again this evening. I would have a godly jealousy that you would be enjoying the Lord far more than I am. I hope you know the sweetness of walking close with the Lord. But in case there's a couple of you, who have a little bit of dust accumulated in the private prayer closet, who unfortunately are regularly admitting, I have not spent time with the Lord as I should, who unfortunately are in a season of choosing wrong as it pertains to the good thing, I just want to invite you to consider what the Lord Jesus would say. Or if there's any here who are like me, who are given to pride and given to self-reliance, if there's any in here that's like Martha, you know you love Jesus. Can't nobody tell you you don't. You love Jesus, but you also very regularly confuse activity for Jesus with closeness with Jesus. Let us receive correction from the Lord. That's what I invite you to lean in. Let him hit your head. What do you mean hit my head? The psalmist prayed in Psalm 141, let a righteous man strike me, it is the kindness 
Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse me. And Jesus is the most righteous man. So we can regularly say, let Jesus strike me. It's a kindness. Let us not refuse it. If you got to get rebuked by anybody, you want to get rebuked by Jesus. Because he knows how to not break the Bruce Reed. He knows how to not put out the smoky wick. And he cuts only so that we would bear more fruit. Here in our Luke passage, being wrongly distracted is met with a tender rebuke from the Lord Jesus. And it's not hard to understand why such distracted devotion would be corrected by Christ. In the moment of distracted devotion, it causes us to miss him in a way, right? We miss time with Jesus. He who our soul loves, we miss out on communing with. And he's the, the great treasure of our soul. He's our portion. He was the pearl of great price. He was the treasure we found hidden in the field that we sold everything up elsewhere in our joy just so we can have him. And if we're neglecting being with him, sitting with him, prioritizing him, we're neglecting the very thing that's most important. More seriously, the distracted heart, if left unattended, if left unrepentant of, leads people fully away from the Lord altogether. Now this is what we see in the church in Ephesus, a community that excelled in different works. Just in case you're thinking, well, that can't be me because you don't know what I've been doing. No, no, no. It can be you because listen to what they were doing. The church in Ephesus, it was a community that excelled in different works, yet neglected its essential love. Jesus says as he walks among the churches, Revelation 2, 2 through 5, I know your works, your toil, you labor and harm. I know your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. But you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. You found them to be false. He says, I see your works, I know them. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. You have not grown weary. I know you're living for my name. You're, you're enduring suffering for my name. He says, I see your works. But after all that, the Lord Jesus still says, but I do have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Now, the Lord Jesus says, I see you're serving, but I got an issue with you. For you're serving without love. You're doing things for me without me. It's possible to do things about Jesus without Jesus. And he says, repent, do the works, return to them. Those of a rightly devoted love, a Mary-like love, be more like Mary, less like Martha. You usually don't want to preach that way, but it's okay. You want to be more like Mary, less like Martha. God has provided this scene of instruction to us in his words so that we too might be more rightly devoted and less wrongly distracted. Because if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know the tug towards being wrongly distracted instead of being rightly devoted. There is an essential affection, there's a crucial conviction, and that is that the soul must be satisfied and steadfast in devotion to Jesus, that the soul knows that its only source of sustaining is Christ, its only source of abiding joy is Christ, that it's all in all is Christ. And this is what we were created for. So much so, that's what eternal life is. This is eternal life, right? That you know him. 
can know God and the Son that He has sent. In our sin, we seek to find life away from the Lord, but it's the necessary thing. It's the one thing we need. There is no life outside of the Lord. The necessary thing is Christ, that we know the absolute necessity. We live based on it, and we not be convinced that we know it until we actually show it. Back in the day, they used to say, put up a shut Amen? We can talk all we want about having right answers and stuff. The question is, do you say Spend time with Jesus. Which brings me to the second point, sitting with Jesus. This is our paradigm we're to imitate here. I'm sure if you gave both Martha and Mary a test, they would have answered all the questions the same way. Is Jesus the resurrection and the life? Yes. Is Jesus the Son of God? Yes. Is he the Messiah? Yes. Is he holy? Yes. Must we worship him? Yes. Is he the Lord of all things? Yes. Should we spend all our time with him? Yes. Is he deserving of all our service? Yes. They would have answered all of the tests right. But here we see when Jesus examined their lives, he sees some discontinuity in their devotion. And friend, I wonder if you would find any in your life. Here we have two sisters. One claims to know it. The other seems to know it and show it. And just look at how simple it all is. We see here a personified demonstration of the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Lived out in this commendable example and just look at what she's doing. Verse 39, this commendable devotion is she sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his Notice her posture. Notice her pursuit. She's sitting and listening to things we don't do naturally well. We're goers. We're talkers. But an essential aspect of devotion is sitting and listening. The Lord Jesus said, come to me, right? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Come to me and learn from me. It's the rest of the life. And Mary's doing that here, learning from him. She's sitting with Jesus, listening to Jesus. She sat at his feet, which is a position of humility, and she listened to him, revealing her esteem for his words. People can say, man shall not live by bread alone, and yet live by bread alone. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And how, how often you ate this week? Are you hungry? We find it a point of plain application that one essential aspect of devotion to Christ is devotion to his word. It's where we learn from him, to love his teaching, to listen to it, to receive it. The psalmist in Psalm 119, filled with a deep love for God, he connects that love for his teaching, right, with himself. The Lord is my portion, he says. I promise to keep your words. The two things are connected. You're my portion, therefore I love your words. And the saints who have chosen the good portion, there is this connection between having the Lord as our portion and his words as our life. And all the saints who have likewise chosen a good portion have likewise esteemed his word as their food. The psalmist goes on to say, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts. I will fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. 
never met a saint who was thriving and growing who was not rooted in his word, who wasn't consuming his word. While Martha was trying to serve the meals that would perish, Mary picked the plate that wouldn't. And in a day and age where everyone is hurried and worried, oh, that there was more saints who regularly just sat down and spent time with Jesus. Y'all sing holy, 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 yeah? Wouldn't you love to sing it and not be lying? Early in the morning, my song shall rise to thee. How many mornings? May it be every morning. We may not be able to sit bodily at his feet and listen, but we can go eagerly to his word and hear him. Friend, do you regularly, do you daily, do you devotedly sit and listen to Jesus? There is no excuse for us to not daily spend time with God's word. Obviously, if you're in a coma, that does not apply. There's exceptions to the rule. We're not talking about that right now. We're talking about our regular, everyday lives. The stuff that we say, yeah, but that doesn't count. If you had time to eat that day, you had time to eat that day. It's a definite point. Martha was distracted from devotion. And one evidence that she's distracted in her heart is how she responds when a commendable example is in her proximity. So rather than be encouraged by her sister's example, she gets irritated. Has that ever happened to you? You got like convicted that someone was honoring the Lord more, and rather than like repent, you get mad. Well, that's what she's doing. It says Martha was distracted with much serving, verse 40, and she actually went up to Jesus. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? Now my sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her to help me. You know she was going to salty after this one. Because she was very confident Jesus was going to back her up. Jesus. Here's Martha. She's missing the whole point. She totally thought Jesus was totally fine with her ignoring him. Jesus, tell her to leave you and come to me. But she's missing the good portion. She's missing the opportunity. She's missing Christ. Martha is mindful of what Mary isn't doing, but she's blind to what she herself isn't. She's throwing the pity party that her ministry is left unattended, missing that she left Jesus, who is the center of ministry. She left him unattended. It's totally possible to do things about Jesus, without Jesus. And we see the compassion of Christ. See how kind and gentle his rebuke is, verse 41 to 42. But the Lord's answered him, what the fuck? You're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Oh, friends, that we would say this to ourselves every day. There's one thing that's necessary. A lot to do. One thing that's necessary. Anybody ever told you you were doing too much and you got mad at them? 
but they were right. <laughs> and I, I think there's, there's a unique word even here for sisters. I mean, we see this a lot. Uh, um, oftentimes, it's the, the sisters in the church that are leading the efforts for hospitality. But there's a danger in that, too. There's a temptation to be consumed with the wrong kind of labor, right? Getting everyone's food ready so that it's tasty for everyone, trying to get the house nice so that it's spotless for arriving guests, and then just staying busy, tending to people's needs while all the fellowships occur. While the Bibles are out. While the prayers are rising. While the word is spilling forth. While edification is being exchanged. Some, some are escape to do the dishes while devotion is happening. I've even heard of people not coming to church to prepare a meal for after service. And that's a clear violation. That's like literally what this is. Some applications are like, you know, you got to reach for them. That's like a one-on-one. -on -one. If you're missing worshiping with the saints to make food, that's wrong. Don't do that. Uh, choose the good portion. It's better to have things less than pristine so that you can partake of the grace that's available. And if anybody has a problem with the tidiness of your house, you just bring them to this text. Say, friend, friend, friend. Anxious about many things. Enjoy your peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And husbands, I just want to encourage you to leave it in this in your homes. Make sure your wife knows that the needs of the home are subordinate to the needs of her soul. That it's okay for the house to not be clean. And Christ is being raised. We can eat late, so we can eat the good food. Make sure she knows that that judgment call. She's empowered to make that judgment call to say no for the sake of her soul. I mean, we can all work on this. As you reflect on your week, as you look at your schedule, as you look at your calendar, with Jesus looking at how you're living, say this thing. You say, oh, dear friend, you are anxious of anything. You seem to be neglecting the one necessary thing. Jesus looked at what you did this past week, each day. Not the ones you fit them. Everybody got to fit them. Uh, I'm about to get it right next week. You know what I'm saying? We call every year the year to get right. This is when we, you know, <laughs> we're better this year. But reality is what you just did. So, like, use your last week. Uh, if Jesus looked at your last week, if he stayed at a guest in your home, would he be bringing this correction to you? Would he be able to say to you, oh, Christian, Christian, you're worried about many things, but there's one thing that's necessary. Well, if you're anything like me, then this is one of those portions of Scripture that seem to regularly and always be applicable. I'm so prone to wander in serving Jesus without Jesus. I'm so prone to distraction. I need to be regularly connected. I need to be regularly recalled to this right devotion. I need my name written right above Martha's so that I know it's Brian, Brian. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Many of us are more like Martha, but all 
of us can be more like Mary, for Jesus commends her example, Jesus commends her love, Jesus commends her devotion, for in her devotion is the right estimation of Christ, that he is the necessary thing, the thing the soul needs, the one thing necessary. Mary got it right. Mary chose the good portion. The question for us is, have you? Oh, to sit and be with Jesus. To sit with him, to spend time with him, to talk with him, to learn from him, to have him talk to you. And in saying that, I don't we're, we're charismatic group here. I don't mean audible communication primarily, but rather the actual engaging and receiving of God's word. The place more fully confirmed. We see here the seeds of the two main branches of personal devotion to Christ, prayer and scripture reading. Without which, no saint lives. If you're not regular in his word, if you're not regular in prayer, a couple things I know about are struggling more than you know. It's not possible for us to thrive without. Nobody grows without praying and reading the word. Nobody grows without sitting and listening to Jesus. And dads and husbands, it's our job to lead in this being the priority in our home. Or if you're a mother without someone to help you lead the home in that way, it's our job to make sure that the home understands that's the, the main necessary thing. The encouragement here is to have a life that's wrapped in Scripture so that we can be regularly sitting with the Lord. As those who are leaders in our homes, we don't want to be confused about what our job is. Our job is not to be Jesus to our family so that they sit at our feet. No, no. Our job is to make sure our family sits at Jesus' feet. That everybody in this house understands we all need Jesus. And I'm not him. And this means you must be sitting with Jesus yourself. You cannot help someone else sit with Jesus when you're not sitting with Jesus. You must know the word yourself before you help other people know the word. The word. But one question I have for this when I was reading is, when do we know when serving becomes distracting? When it becomes a hindrance to sinning? And I think the answer to that is when serving is no longer devotional. When serving distracts from drawing near to Christ. The basic test to give when we are serving, but haven't spent time in prayer and time in the word, that should be a clear a sign to us that we are in violation. So if you're doing things about Jesus and you have not spent time with Jesus about it, you're probably doing something about Jesus without Jesus. I don't think it's a coincidence that in the immediate context of this passage, following this text, wouldn't we bump into it? We bump into a discussion where the disciples request that Jesus teach them how to communicates to his disciples in John 15. I'm about to leave. He says, stay with me. Remain with me. Abide in me. How do we do that? John 15, 3 through 5. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I am you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Now, if you go through it fast, it kind of sounds like you're saying the same thing over and over again. Let me simplify this for you. There is one vine. Do we know who the vine is? Jesus. Jesus is the vine. 
not divine. That's what he's saying there. I am divine, you are not divine. Do we know who the branches are? We are the branches. We are the branches. Uh, he is divine, we are the branches. And Jesus says, which one produces the fruit? So, if you have ever tended to a tree and a branch is broken off, what you did not do with that branch is keep that branch. Because that branch is now trash. Because when it's separated from what gives it life, it can't do anything. That was Jesus' point. Uh, uh, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. You cannot bear fruit unless you abide in him. Jesus says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit, for apart from me, you can do Our sin, our, our, un, our 
sin, that, that constant flow that never stops, that cannot change, what's in our hearts, that comes out, it just shows us we're bad. We don't have goodness in us. And we can't find goodness anywhere else. There is the one good thing. And that's a he. When Jesus calls us to repent of our sin and come to him, he said, leave your evil and come to what's good. Come to the only one who is good. And he shows that he's good because what he tells us is good news and the effects it has on us is good for our souls. He dies for our sins. He saves us from our bondage to sin. He delivers us from the schemes of the devil. He takes us from a worthless trajectory. Because that's what the Bible says when we're living life outside of the Lord. No one's righteous. No, not one. No one does good. No one seeks after God. Altogether, they become worthless. They're doing nothing. A life that's lived with all of the accolades, with all of the accomplishments, but without Jesus, it's nothing. The Lord Jesus spoke of a man who had all the worldly riches so much, he, he decided to build another barn house, and that got filled up, and I want to build another barn house. And you know what Jesus said to him? That's a fool. Because his soul will be required of him. And when his soul is required of him, he will see he has nothing. Jesus comes for us who have nothing, and he gives us everything in himself. He invites us to come and be filled in his goodness. Come and enjoy and experience and taste and see, and what you will taste and see is that he's good. He satisfies the soul with good things. Saves our soul from hell, binds us to himself, and through his resurrection, he promises us a good end as well, in a good place, face to face with our good God. And that's for all, that's for all who would choose right now. Who would by his grace see that he's actually the one thing that's necessary. It's the one thing, it's the only one thing that's necessary. And we have the daily choose him. Uh, George Mueller uh, once said, the first and great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happen. That's your great and primary business to which you ought to attend to every day. And God has come to let us experience both the benefits and the dangers of when we go. Do you experience when you wake up in your right mind by God's grace and you pray? Wait, right down the stick of this coffee in this herb today. This is the day that the Lord has made. And, 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 and you pray, and you pour over his word, and you even understand it this time. And, Stuck to your Bible reading plan for once. You, you offer supplications and your requests 
and your prayers and, and these kinds of things to your mind, your fellow members of the church, and what they have going on and their burdens, and you carry those to the Lord too. Where you've talked with Him and you've casted your cares on Him and you've experienced His care for you. you you've experienced that peace, that peace that surpasses understanding when you should be freaking out, but you're not. Because His peace is guarding your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And he keeps you in perfect peace as you affect your mind, staying with him. Saw him and he met with you. And as a result of you sitting at his feet, as a result of you choosing the good portion, you sense that he's with you, that he loves you, and that he cares for you. You fled with the Lord. You, 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 were, you were constantly praying. You ask the Lord to help you. You say, Lord, help me today. Help me to be holy today. Help me to use the day for your glory and for your honor. Help me to be careful where my eyes go. Help me to be careful where my mind goes. Help me to do my work heartily unto you. Help me to be a, a, a wise servant in this meeting I have at 10. Help me to be gentle as a dove and wise as a serpent. Help me in my counseling appointment, oh God. Give me wisdom. This is really, really hard. It's too much for me, and I really, really need your help. Will you bring your word to my mind today? Will you help me to think on it? I don't want to forget your word. Blessed are you, O Lord. Please teach me your statutes. Oh, 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 Lord, I pray for my family. I pray that you would, you would save those that don't know you. I pray that you would root them in your word today, that, that you would help them to keep their minds fixed on you today, that you would, you would strengthen my wife, Lord, that you would protect my family, that you would help them in their hearts to be set on things above where, where Christ is, that they would know he's their life, and when he appears, they'll be with him in glory. Would you, would you help me to long for the return of Jesus today? Oh, Lord, would you please help my fellow members of the church and dot, 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 dot. You've had days like that. And when you lift up your burdens of the day and you seek him, does he not help you? You get help. You get answers to prayer. Jesus promised it and you've experienced it. Does he not give you help? Does he not give you peace? Are you not guarded? And then you've experienced the other days where none of that happens. You know, where you wake up late, maybe, and stayed up late maybe the night before, and he's allowed you to experience being on your own, so to speak. You go through the day, and you can just feel how apart from him you can't do anything. You know, when we presumptuously and pridefully roll out of bed and just get going as if our legs are just supposed to work, and our mind is just supposed to work, and we're just supposed to arrive safely where we're going, and people are just supposed to be kind to us. And we're just going to be kind to everyone else. And there's no sin we need to really beat up that morning or put to death on our way to work. But we just go not acknowledging, wow, I woke this morning because you sustain me. We, we don't acknowledge, I need grace to make it down these stairs. We, we don't acknowledge, I know my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked and not trustworthy. Or not acknowledging my mind is easily distracted and not dependable and I need help. And not acknowledging I need grace from you to make it today. You've experienced days where you tried to do it on your own. And sometimes, by his help, you actually have a hard day because of it. And you know it's because of it. Perhaps you're having an unusual amount of conflict with the spouse. 
You're being usually stabbed at the children, a little bit strong and sharp with the co-workers. Thoughts seem to wander in that cesspool of sinful imagination, and it just hits you, and you know that the, per the personal ministry of the Holy Spirit to come straight to your face, because it does different. Sometimes he lets you experience the folly of your ways so that he will empty you of your self-reliance, bring you to the conclusion, I cannot push out fruit without God. Jesus says you will get nothing that way. How are you going to fight your sin when you haven't stopped going for help? How are you going to be gentle and kind when someone is rude and mean to you? How are you going to set your mind on things above like that's a natural exercise? Jesus says we're branches, but life doesn't come from branches. You want to control your temper tomorrow? Where are you going to get power to do that? You want to fight to be pure tonight? Where are you going to get power to do that? You want to be godly and gentle and meek and forgiving? Where will you get the power to do that? You want to serve your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her? Where are you going to get the power to do that? You want to raise your children in the fear and instruction of the Lord? Where do you get the power to do that? You want to submit to your husband and everything that's unto the Lord? Where do you get the power to do that? You want to outdo one another in showing honor? Where do you get the power to do that? Jesus says, you got to come to me. Abide in me. And if my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. He can help you control your temper. He can help you be pure. He can help you be heavenly-minded. He can help you be godly and gentle and meek and forgiving. He can help you serve your wife. He can help you lead your kids. He can help you be kind to your roommate. He can help you be kind to your husband. He can help you. He wants to help you. He's willing to help you. He says, come and ask for help. You do not have. Why? Because you do not ask. And this is what Martha does. She's not sitting with Jesus, but she gets the same excuses we give. It's because I'm too busy. She's claiming to be too busy. But we cannot be too busy for we're actually most in need of it. Jesus commends his posture towards him saying, look, look at what Martha, excuse me, what he tells Martha about Mary. Her actions are those of the one who has chosen a good portion, and he says that portion will never be taken away from you. You ever, like, spend a lot of time working for something, or saving for something, and then it just gets taken from you? Like a nice car that gets hit by someone on the street, or outside of their house. Or, you know, a nice house that you invested in, ended up having some kind of septic problem that you didn't know was there. Or maybe a lot of time you might spend at the gym. Uh, you know, physical fitness is of some benefit. <coughs> but then sickness, 
rage, starts to have its way with you. Things that get taken from you. Jobs, they get taken from you. People, they get taken from you. Riches, they get taken from you. One of the things that Jesus commends about what Mary chose and she chose It will never be tapered. We know he's the good portion, right? All Jesus does for us is good. Indeed, the whole of our sanctification is called a big good work. Right? I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Again, he's the good portion. He's a good worker. He's a good teacher. He does good things. He's the good shepherd. All these things are to help us know his quality. He's good. He's necessary and he's good. Right? So, it's not just that there's one thing necessary, but it's like, um, you know, colonoscopies, which are necessary, but not good. <laughs> no, he's the, he's, he's the necessary thing and the good thing. I mean, consider he's the good shepherd, right? All his goodness. When you have him, you have so much of him, you don't need anything. That's what the psalmist says, at least. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not. I don't know what. How is that possible? Because I have a good shepherd. Well, I have a good shepherd. He's my shepherd. And in that, the same is satisfied. He says he makes me to lie down in green pastures. We know that's good food. He leads me beside still waters. We know that's good terrain. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's the good way. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, he says, for you are with me. So even the psalmist said, when I have Jesus, even when it's going bad for me, it's still going good. This is what Paul said. We know that for those who love God, all things are being worked together for their good. And all the way to a good place with him in his goodness, we're told that goodness and mercy follow us everywhere we go. He's the good shepherd, and we're, we're told this good shepherd even sacrifices himself for his flock, right? This is how good he is. He's so good that he lays down his life for your life. That's the kind of goodness he has. It's a, it's a goodness that satisfies the soul. It's a goodness that oversees the whole of our life. It's a goodness that follows us into all places. It's a goodness that stays with us in all circumstances, and a goodness that works for us in all things. This Good God is the good portion. And we get to have him. Have you chosen the good portion? Many people think what they really need is some better investments. Or a higher paid job. Or prestigious education. Or an education. That that's the good life. That a good, the good life is stress free. Or it's debt free. Many people think they need just the right relationship. You know, with Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. Some think you need the right spousing, others think you need the right spousing. Some think they need a bigger church, or they need more influence, or they need more books, or they need a nicer building. Or maybe if they may at a different time. Listen, none of those things are necessary. Amen? <laughs> Saying if you don't got it, you don't need it. How often have we belittled what we do have because of what we don't? Oh, that we could 
say and know and experience from the depths of our soul the experiential satisfaction in regularly choosing the good portion and knowing that what we have will never be taken away. Mary said what the psalmist said and what we all who know him should say, for me it is good to be near God. And what Jesus promises Mary, and through her, all of us who have rightly distinct him, that, that good portion will never be taken away from you. This is Psalm 73. Look, what well, whom am I in heaven besides you? On earth there's nothing I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but he's the strength of my heart. He's my portion for how long? Forever. Outcast will say forever. Forever. He's the good portion forever, which means we get to have him forever. Oh, and we love to pray. We want our prayer meetings be packed out. If there's anything we got to excel at as a church, let it be sitting at Jesus' feet. Like, would that be the best thing we do? Would our prayer closets be frequently attended? May all the saints in this room know what J.C. Ryle was talking about, that hearty habit of private prayer. Oh, that we would love to sit and listen to his teaching at our times of Bible teaching and Bible study and evening service or morning service in the evening. Oh, would they all be packed with souls who long to join near Jesus. We don't come to get out, but come to sit and be with Jesus. As the church divides up into homes with Bibles be out and the saints be found listening to their beloved's voice. I mean, would we all be appealing nearer and nearer to thee? Again, your stuff could be taken away from you in one day at all. Your family may be taken away from you in one day at all. Your health will be taken away from you. The church may be taken away from you. One day away. Your title will be taken away from you. One day away. Your friends may be taken away from you. One day away. Your popularity may be taken away from you. Thank you for the ways you love us.